I realized that I completely forgot to say something interesting about me, but it's okay. People can think that science is all I do because that's pretty close to the truth. <laughs> we have to impose like 7 p.m. no more science talk and I still request exceptions. <laughs> I'm Terence Steinberg, and I'm preparing to row across the Pacific Ocean from San Francisco to Hawaii to inspire a more courageous world. And I'm Zach Smith. I'm not rowing at all, but I'm here to help tell this story. I spent the past 10 years exploring the far reaches of my mind and body, first through depression and later through endurance sports like Ironman triathlons, ultra marathons, and now rowing the Pacific. With each step, and even today, I found the biggest barriers inside myself. The doubts and fears and stories I had to rewrite in my heart. And each time I've discovered I can always do more, that humans are infinitely adaptable. But I've also learned that knowing this myself is not enough. So this time I'm bringing you with me to hopefully inspire you to believe more in yourself and in the opportunity for a better tomorrow. Welcome aboard the United World Challenge. Another amazing part about the United World Challenge is that we're raising money to send students to the United World Colleges, focusing on students affected by rising seas caused by climate change. We want to fuel their dreams. At this time, we'd like to remind everyone listening that if you have any questions, please submit them to us via our Facebook page at the United World Challenge, and we'll get to them on our next episode. Our last episode covered the difficulties of preparing for the trip in the time of COVID-19 and how that's affecting the project. Today, we're bringing science back as we chat with the science director for the challenge who is helping to bring the Pacific Ocean and this row into the classroom. So I'm Jessica Garwood. I'm an oceanographer, and that means that I research the ocean for, for a career. And so um, right now I'm working at Rutgers University as a postdoctoral researcher, and I just recently completed my PhD at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. An oceanographer is a scientist that studies the movement of currents and the systems that make oceans function the way they do. They often get mistaken for marine biologists who study the organisms that live in the oceans. It's one of those fields that you hear about and say, wow, that's pretty cool. But how'd you get into that? Well. It turns out that those IMAX movies you may have seen on a school field trip growing up, well, they can have quite an impact. But I then watched a documentary where some scientists had sediment grabs, and those are little, essentially they're devices that you can lower into the ocean seafloor, and they'll grab a bit of mud or a bit of sand or sediment and bring it up to the surface. And they were digging through that mud, looking at worms that made some little tubes. So the worms would make their own tubes with mud and live in them. And I just thought that was very fascinating. So as a teenager, I was seeing that. And I thought to myself, well, okay, it's one thing to be fascinated with corals, but if you can even be fascinated by the worms in the muds, perhaps I'm onto something. <laughs> at this point in the conversation, I told Jess that at that age, I was too busy spinning rocks in earth science class to worry about what I was doing for the rest of my life. And don't get me wrong. Spinticity turned out to be a great way to separate the rocks by type, or at least the ones that our teacher gave us. But 
It's a good thing that Jess was so woke as a 15-year-old, because the work she's doing now is really important. I think I was very, very lucky to come to my institution at a time where a lab had just developed this technology. So it's actually a technology that is unique in the world. And the robots are about the size of a grapefruit and they can adjust their buoyancy. That means they change their volume ever so slightly with a piston and that affects whether they'll float or they'll sink more. And so they can sense at what depth they are in the water they can move their piston ever so slightly to float a little higher or a little lower. And so we program them to keep a constant depth, which means to just stay more or less at three meters depth or something like that. And what that allows us to do is ask questions about how larvae or microorganisms that behave in that way, how would they move in the ocean? And that's, that's novel, that's very unique because it's, we can't see under the water. There is no GPS tracking underwater. And although we can have GPS sensors on bees, we don't have this technology for the ocean. So microorganisms, it's almost impossible for us to know where they go. We can't follow them. But if we have some instrumentation that mimic their behavior and we can follow that technology, then we start having a better sense for what might be possible for these microorganisms. So. If you've eaten seafood like lobster, mussels, or oysters, all of these animals start out as larvae, and their life cycles depend on these currents that extend maybe 100 meters or so into the ocean. These are currents that Jess predominantly studies. Where all of this comes into play is that Jess will be using the challenge as a story to help bring topics like this and many others to life for students through educational programming she's putting together. One of the relevant topics that we should all care about is the creation and growth of the Pacific Garbage Patch, or Pacific Gyre for those outside the US. And if you've heard nothing about it, you may have at least heard that it's big. So I was looking at waves that are below the surface, and these waves, if you wait for them to pass, or if you try to go from the crest of one wave to the crest of the other wave, it's about the size of a football field. So that's something we've all walked through, or we have a good sense for those distances. The gyre instead is the size of a continent, right? To be clear, and to back up for a moment, for those who may not be that familiar, the Pacific Garbage Patch is a massive collection of plastic and other waste created by humans that has fallen out of the waste management systems, flowed into the Pacific Ocean, through rivers and other waterways and collected together to form a mass that is, as Jess said, literally the size of a continent. But it's not like you or I are affected, right? I mean, I'm in upstate New York and the garbage patch is more than 5,000 miles away in the Pacific Ocean. Well, it turns out that it does affect me and you, even the air we breathe. Most people agree that they don't want to live on a planet that has no biodiversity, right? We are happy to see birds in our in our yards. We are happy to think of turtles as being able to live with us. So this idea of conserving and protecting the planet as we know it is, is a big part of the equation. But also from a more simple human living point of view, um, did you know that every other breath you take comes from the ocean? So we usually think of trees as producing the oxygen we breathe. 
but half of that oxygen is produced by microorganisms in the ocean. So if we litter their environment, if we poison where they live, then they're not producing oxygen for us. So we have to, to really see ourselves as part of this, this planet and we need the planet much more than it needs us. So I think it's important that we try to conserve it. And it's understandable if this is a little hard to imagine because most of us have seen forests. So we have a mental image of where our oxygen comes from and how big trees are. But listen to what Jess offered next. There's a lot more trees, but that's because trees last, right? As they grow, they'll stay there. Whereas plankton, they live quickly and they die quickly. So there's a high turnover, but during all that growth, they're producing all the oxygen, well, not all the oxygen, but they're producing a significant amount of oxygen, which is comparable to what the trees do. Atmospheric circulation is just much faster than ocean circulation. So even if you think it takes a lot of time for the water to move around, well, it doesn't take a lot of time for the atmosphere to bring the oxygen from another country to you, right? Or another part of the ocean. So yeah, we all rely on the, the oxygen from the ocean, even if we're not right by the ocean. And also, I mean, I don't know what people like to eat, but if people like to eat fish or shellfish, then ultimately that also comes from the ocean. So the, our oceans have to be in good health to be able to, to sustain our eating habits. And then also people may not realize, but the ocean does absorb some heat, which means that with temperatures rising, if we didn't have an ocean, then they would rise much faster. So a healthy ocean is part of this entire system. Wow, that's a lot to take in and frankly can seem a little daunting. I mean, this doesn't change the fact that the oceans are hundreds of miles away to my east and thousands away to the west. I think I can definitely make sure that I'm recycling what I can, but what else can I really do? So I think one option is to support initiatives that we know are making a difference, right? So if there are people like what Terence is describing, they're offering to establish recycling facilities in countries that don't have them or don't have the infrastructure, that's something we can support. We can support it directly through donations and, and whatnot, but we can also support it by buying from responsible companies, right? Companies that we know are not destroying our environment. They're, they have policies that we agree with, practices that we agree with. And so doing a bit of our research as a consumer, and if we make that something important for us, then also our governments start caring, right? If people know that their constituents want to hear about issues and they want to see actions that are in line with preserving the oceans, then all of this is really convincing ourselves that we care and then practicing that in our everyday life. And it doesn't take someone to do everything, but just every little bit helps. And especially advocating for policies that allow people with more leverage to make decisions that help the ocean. As with anything, one of the most important things that we can do to change this pattern is to teach a new one to youth and young adults who will carry the torch forward from here. So I thought we could join forces and present activities that will not only introduce students or young minds to the ocean, to the, the challenge, 
but also give them skills that that might help them in the future, not only in school, but also hireable skills. And so right now, programming is this big buzzword, and we realize that there's employment opportunities in terms of programming. So with our activities, we're hoping to make programming accessible, exciting. It's something that people can work on at home or in their classroom, and will essentially walk them through simple activities to realize that it doesn't require matrix-like skills. Someone who's just curious, likes troubleshooting, and enjoys doing things on a computer can hopefully gain some exposure to it. And, and we'll do that through plotting maps of where Terrence is, looking at what some ocean properties are in this area, and so on and so forth. The curriculum will be structured around the data created from the challenge itself and supported by data that has already been collected. Some examples include the daily GPS coordinates of Tez and his boat, and various data points about the ocean surrounding him, like the water currents and the Pacific Garbage Patch. Students ranging from middle school up through college will be able to approach these activities from a number of different ways. Those interested in programming will be able to download the data and walk through a process of building maps from that data. Others can explore the data itself by getting a deeper understanding of our oceans. The goal of all this is to show students that they can be scientists too, or reach for any goal that they've dreamt about. For me, it's really been about building the confidence of other individuals and and sharing a passion. And so when Terence was telling me that he would be reaching out to um, students across the country and even throughout the world, I thought what, with the backdrop of being um, in the ocean rowing with such a cool project, I thought it was my two passions were right there and he was willing to let me take a, a leading role with that. So I, I offered very early on that he could just contact me if that's something he was interested in, and I'm very happy that he did. As all of you hopefully know by now, one of the most important goals of the challenge itself is to inspire people to be more courageous about their dreams and lives. On that front, Jess had a few insightful words to close us out for today's episode. Well, I think... People derive courage from confidence too, right? So whatever problem you put in front of them, if you show that there's improvement, that some solutions work, that then they derive a benefit from that solution or they see benefit in others, then they grow more confident that the next problem can be solved. And someone might see his success and be inspired and think, well, maybe they'll want to row across the ocean. Maybe they'll have another situation that they want to work on and seeing someone else's success it, it does build your confidence and then you try to address more and more problems that way so it's not just solving our problems for the sake of solving our problems it's helping everyone else be in a better environment at this point i think we can thank all the people involved for listening because after all this project is about you you are who and what this project is really about. And at this point, I think, Terrence, it's worth you reminding everyone how they can get involved in our project if they want to. So whether you're new or you've been following the United World Challenge for a while, you can get involved in a few ways. First, you can support our mission to inspire the world. Make a donation to the challenge, visit unitedworldchallenge.org, and visit the launch page or 
Get some awesome products at the Pirate Booty page where you get discounts and we get commission. Win-win. You can also support the scholarship fund to send new students to the United World Colleges. Go to unitedworldchallenge.org and go to the mission page. You can also get involved personally. Offer a skill or time or connect us to a partner for equipment or anything else. And lastly, inspire a more courageous world. Show up, tell your friends, and share the story. Until next time and always, keep believing in yourself and those around you. Together, we're rowing for a better tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. The soundtrack for this episode was composed by and is courteous of the artist, who you can find at SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash thecuriouskid.